Well, happy fall. <laughs> Who's happy for the fall? Raise your hand. Okay, who wants some more summer? Raise your hand. Okay, I want both. I want both. Right, these are my two favorite seasons. Hey, whenever we're looking at schools, but I mean, to me, as soon as school's back in session, it's fall time. You know, you get back in the routines, and fall is a great place to be in Nebraska, is it not? Such a great place to be, though, this time of year. So grateful for this season. And as we turn the corner into the fall, what we're doing here at the church for two weeks, last Sunday and this Sunday, is just talking a little bit about who we are, okay? Last Sunday, well, we talked about where we've been for the last five years, and that comprises a lot of who we are as a church family, where we've been though these past five years. We talked about five golden threads that have woven their way into our church through five strategic initiatives over the past five years. We took a look back. Today, well, we want to talk about our discipleship pathway, what makes us the kind of people that we want to become, and how we can look forward with that in this year to come, and talk about a couple goals though, that we have as a church here in the coming year. I don't have a new five-year vision to, to give you right now. Well, we're praying about that, but, but right now I'm going to talk to you, though, this morning about some ways, though, that we can move forward even in this year to come. I want to start here to today with our mission statement, well, which reads like this up on the screen. I'd like to ask everyone together, if you're watching online or in the venue or here in the auditorium, would you please, that's not, there it is, okay. Would you please read our mission statement all together as a church family? Please join me. We are building a transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people. That's a great mission statement. That mission statement is spot on. Like, that's what a great church is about. It's about transformation. A great church needs to be about transformation. It's not a Sunday school. It's not a country club. It's not a place to go get my back stroked. It's a place where transformation happens, amen? A great church is a place where transformation happens, where community is built, where we grow in love for Christ and we love each other and we love all people. Now, I do think it's worth asking, has this been your experience in the church? That transformation has occurred in your soul as a result of your time in the church? Now, that's a sobering question for me to ask, but because I read the statistics, and I read the research, and I talk to people, and I know that for some, transformation has happened. That has been their experience in the church. But for many others, and many, many different churches, that has not been their experience. What they found instead is some support and some community, and maybe they like the teaching, maybe they don't. Maybe they like the singing, maybe they don't. Maybe they've found something that has improved their lives a little bit. But many people would say, if they were asked the question, has transformation occurred in your soul as a result of your relationship with your church? Many times people would say no. I'm sure there are many reasons why transformation doesn't happen more for us through our relationship well with the church, I want to give you really quick four of the reasons. This isn't the main thing for my sermon here today. This is just a bonus, okay? 
But here's four reasons that oftentimes transformation does not happen for us in the church. One is an issue that we've talked about many times in this room. We talked about significantly through the book of Zephaniah a few weeks ago, and it's apathy or complacency. Oftentimes we're not transformed because we get apathetic. A second reason is we are what we eat, right? Come on, somebody. We are what we eat. Junk food in, junk food out. We become what we eat. And so also it's true that if we take in a whole lot of video games, well, we kind of become that. We take in a whole lot of TV. We take in a whole lot of politics. We take in a whole lot of social media. We take in a whole lot of arguing and negativity and angry, whatever. You become what you eat, right? You just, it, this is just a fact of the universe. You become more like whatever you are taking in. And many of us take in a lot of those kinds of things that I just noted instead of a lot of spiritually enriching activities. Now, those are self-induced reasons that many times we don't experience transformation, but there's also church-induced reasons that we oftentimes don't experience transformation. And the third one that I want to point out here is sometimes churches are just a whole lot better at making people busier than making people better. Okay? So a lot of times what the church does is they subscribe to this busy church model where they tell people, okay, you work here 45 hours a week, Great job. Now on top of that 45 hours a week, we expect you to do church and Sunday school on Sunday and you might get home by 1 p.m. On Monday, it's time for group Bible study. On Tuesday, it's women's fellowship group. On Wednesday, you help with the youth group. You have couples life group on Thursday. On Friday, you get the night off. Children's ministry prep on Saturday, then rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. And there's been this model across the years that churches believe that that will transform people. But in fact, it doesn't make them more like Christ. Oftentimes, it just makes them tired. Okay, that's the busy church model. Finally, many churches leave people untransformed because they simply fail to church people, fail to teach people how to encounter Jesus for themselves. Okay? And the way that we are transformed the most is through personal encounter with God. It's through learning the Bible, not just as information, but application to our entire lives. We are transformed as we apply the words of the scriptures to our lives. We are transformed as we develop intimacy with God in prayer. We are transformed by the presence of God. You see, the most powerful thing in the world for changing your soul, people always think that the most powerful thing, the things that move the world, are either sex, power, or money. Okay, depending on who you talk to, people believe that's what moves the world. No, the most powerful thing in the world is the presence of God. Okay, the, the experience of the presence of God, learning to know God personally, is what changes us. This is what Psalm 16 points to for us. It says, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Where? In his presence is joy. Eternal pleasures 
at your right hand. So God just kind of dispenses to us his eternal pleasures starting today from his right hand. Okay, he doesn't have a right hand. Okay, God is incorporeal. He doesn't have a body, but you get the idea. He dispenses from himself, from his very being, his spiritual being, eternal pleasures starting today, joy in his presence even now. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it over in Colossians chapter 1, a key verse for all of us to meditate on. God has chosen to make known the glorious riches of this mystery. What's the mystery? It's this. Christ dwells in you. And he is your hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory, that is the glorious mystery that we get to live into more and more, that we get to appropriate in our lives more and more. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one that we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Sounds like transformation, doesn't it? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Fully mature in Christ. In your presence is fullness of joy. These are the kinds of things that we are after for, that we are after when we speak of transformation. We want to become more like Christ such that we just naturally have growing from these branches fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That naturally is the result of our union with God, of time spent with him in his presence. But oftentimes, again, we do not experience that. I gotta tell you, those kinds of verses, though, that you just looked at, that's what I want more than anything in the world. That's what I want for you more than anything in the world. That's what I want for me more than anything in the world. But as you know, I cannot do it for you. Right? As you know, no pastor can do that for you. It's mostly what you put into it. And you're going to get out what you put in as it relates to your transformation. What I can do and what we seek to do as a church family is to organize our ministries in such a way, and we're really organizing in the year to come, in such a way such that we remove some of the barriers that the church puts up that prevents transformation. And so what I want to talk about here for the remainder of our time is how we kind of organize things to help make that happen and then a couple of these emphases for this year to come. On your outline here today, you'll find basically these uh, circles that make up a Venn diagram in the center. Yeah, you can uh, fill that in as we go. You can do this online as well. And then uh, around that, though, there's one additional circle and that'll help us as we go through the, this morning's message. The, the first one that you want to fill in is these words. When we come together, what we seek to do is seek the truth and then embrace gospel. This is our discipleship pathway that we're going to talk about here today. We seek truth and we embrace gospel when we come together. So our hope is each and every Sunday morning or every Sunday evening, if you go to C20 or over in our bilingual ministry, any of the different ministries that you attend on Sunday morning, any of the worship services that you attend on Sunday morning, what we seek to do is gain heart knowledge of the gospel and head knowledge of the truth that we would seek truth together. One of the many reasons that many Christians are not transformed is that sometimes we come to church and we aim at the wrong target. Sometimes we come to church, me too, 
I come to church wanting, first and foremost, to be comforted. Anyone else? Or I come to church wanting to get an ounce of happiness. Anyone else? This is one of the main reasons that we sometimes come to church. And to be sure, I want to add to your happiness at church on Sunday morning. Okay? I would like to preach in such a way that gives comfort when I'm able to do so, except for when we're in the prophets, because it's impossible to do so. Okay, <laughs> for the most part, like, I really do, I look for ways to provide comfort, but like that is not the goal, that is a byproduct. The goal is to seek truth. If you aim for comfort, my friends, if you aim for comfort, what happens when you ain't getting comfort far from your church? You go somewhere else. Okay, that, that, that's inevitably what happens. And many people leave the faith. Many people deconstruct their faith because they aimed for comfort far from their church. And when they go to church and when they go to the Bible and they do not get comfort, they scatter somewhere else. It's the wrong target. This is a new idea in American religion anyway. American sociologist Philip Reif out of the University of Pennsylvania put it this way in studying sociology religion. He says, formerly, if men were miserable, they went to church so as to find the rationale for their misery. The idea there is that they would find what is going on with the human condition that makes me miserable. They did not expect to be happy by going to church. This is a Greek idea, not a Christian or Jewish idea that I would go to church and be happy. Such a notion is incomprehensible today. Instead, today we go to church to feel good. Okay. Now, before I get an email this week, I want you to know that I am in favor of happiness. Okay, I would much prefer happiness to sadness, personally. I'm not sure about you. But happiness or comfort should be the byproduct of a life that searches for truth. To search for comfort or happiness at the start is to put the cart before the horse. You search for truth. You seek truth each and every Sunday as you come into this room, and happiness and comfort will be the cart that follows that horse. So what we need to do is we need to open up our Bibles on Sunday morning. Even before you get to church on Sunday morning, I hope that you would open up your Bible, you would fall on your knees in prayer before you come to church on Sunday morning, and you say, Holy Spirit, I humbly come before you, and I invite you to speak truth into my life. And I would invite you, Holy Spirit, today, as I open up the scriptures, to confront me and to challenge me and to correct me, and eventually out of that also to comfort me. But it's this humble attitude that really starts before you get to church on Sunday morning that leads to a passionate search for truth when you get here on Sunday. Amen. We seek the truth, and the second thing though, that we do here in this room is we embrace the gospel. Let's read what the Apostle Apostle Paul says about embracing the gospel in Romans 1.16. Would you read this out loud with me, both in the auditorium and the venue? Please join me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
And friends, it's really critical that we understand what the gospel is. That's why we do these gospel and conversations once a month just to reinforce what the gospel is. But each and every Sunday, we seek to reinforce the gospel in one way or another because the truth is we Americans really value the self-made man. And the gospel is not about the self-made man or woman. The gospel is about the man or woman who falls upon their knees and looks up at the cross and realize, I am dependent on God. Jesus Christ died for me, and he rose again to justify my belief in him, and the starting point for my life is a spiritual dependency on God, because apart from him, we can do nothing, Jesus said. Okay? So we are not ashamed of that gospel here. In this room, when we get together here, we are not ashamed of a gospel that prizes humility more than power. In this room, we are not ashamed of a Savior who brought a gospel in which he was a suffering, sacrificial Savior. We are not ashamed of a gospel that's by grace, through faith, due to nothing in ourselves. The free gift of God. So we seek truth and we embrace the gospel each and every Sunday morning as we get together here or Sunday evening so that we can live it more passionately on Monday. You embrace it on Sunday, you get a jolt hopefully, and then you're able to live it more passionately on Monday. The second thing though that we seek to do here in terms of our discipleship pathway toward transformation is we choose community. And our hope and our prayer is that everyone in here would have one life group community, either a men's group or a women's group or a couple's group, they have one life group community of a few close developing friends where we're spurring each other on toward love and good deeds in Jesus Christ. I'll share with you an amazing statistic. Over 800 adults in our church have chosen to be a part of a life group community. Because they understand, they recognize that we're in need of spiritual friendship. And the prayer is these life groups would become petri dishes for spiritual friendship to happen. We pray even that life groups would kind of be like small little churches inside our larger church. That inside our life groups we study the scriptures, we might go off and serve somewhere, we might make a difference somewhere in the community, but the main thing that we do in our life groups is we gather together because we live in a world that's really challenging right now, and so we gather together, and when we come together, we pray for each other, and as the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 5, we encourage each other. We encourage each other, and we build each other up. Just as, in fact, Paul says to the Thessalonian church, just as, in fact, you are doing Anyone else in this, room need, in this room need encouragement from time to time? Would you raise your hand if you do? Okay, so, all right. Half of you need encouragement. Good to know. Okay. <laughs> all right. It's very interesting. The Apostle Paul includes in almost all of his letters this admonition, encourage one another. Build each other up. Because life in this world can feel hopeless at times. And so we build each other up as we gather together. You know, every single New Testament letter is written to a small local church. It's usually a community of, say, 50 to maximum 100 people. And inside that local church in Corinth or in Thessalonica or in Philippi, any of those different letters that you think about, 
Okay, there's this expectation that this local church community is for each other. They have each other's backs. They love each other. They build each other up. They're like really committed to each other. They don't like kind of hop from one church over here in Thessalonica to another one over here in Philippi. They commit to each other in this local church community, even as they disagree about different things, even as they have ups and downs. They know what their core is, their unity in Christ, and they come back to their unity in Christ all the time. And they commit to each other like way more than they commit to the pasture. Really, they commit to each other. And I pray that would be the case in our life groups. That we would commit to each other and we'd be so for each other in this community that that would strengthen us through the ups and downs that we will inevitably go through. Our third environment toward transformation is join the mission. So we choose community, we come together here on Sunday morning to worship and embrace the gospel and seek truth, but then also we find an area that we would join the mission. In 1 Peter 4, as he is writing to another local church, here's some of his instruction to the members of that local church as they commit to each other, so also they serve one another. 1 Peter chapter 4, it says this, each of you, each of who? Each of you. It doesn't say, does it say some? No, no, it doesn't say that, okay. Each of you, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things, God may be praised. You know, I, I hear from other church pastors on a regular basis that at their churches, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. Or 20% of the people do 90% of the work. Or something like that. Maybe you've heard those sayings. I want you to know that doesn't happen here. We have over 600 people who have chosen to join the mission in one area, either on a weekly or at the very least a monthly basis. Over 600 of you are ministering in the church or through the church to some place in our community using your personality or your gifts in some way. And I just say thank you for that. Over 600, that's incredible. And thank God for this opportunity that he has given us. I say thank you, but, but we say together, thank you God that you involve us in your mission to the world through your church because God understands that people are transformed to become more like Christ, not by being brains on sticks, amen? Okay, people are transformed to being more like Christ, not just by having other people in their lives, but also as we serve with our hands. It's these three things together. It's believing the right things about Jesus, it's belonging to a community, and it's blessing others with the gifts that he has given us that those gifts would not stop with us. Now, a lot of times pastors will suggest, uh, we can do it, and you can help a little bit. I've, I've used this before, so humor me if you remember. A lot of times pastors say, we can do it, we'll take care of it, you can help. But it's actually much more like that Home Depot motto that goes like this. You can do it, 
we can help. Okay, like the pastoral role, as we talked about last week, is just a role of equipping the body of Christ for works of ministry. You can do it, and we can help a little bit. And so you may be the minister to your neighborhood, and that might be your primary ministry, is ministering to your neighborhood. Uh, you, you might be a minister to the life group that you lead, and that's your primary way though, that you join the mission. You might be a minister to our VIP program, to kids with disabilities. That's your primary ministry, wonderful. Or to next generation ministry in some way downstairs or over with the preschool kids or the nursery kids. In each of these areas, you do that using the gifts and the personality that God has given us and understand that there's no age at which we retire from ministry for the glory of God. I wanna give you an example of transformation in our church I've been so blessed to get to know many of my neighbors over the past several years, and one of the families that I've been really, really, really fortunate to get to know is Gabe and Janelle Kowalik. I'm not sure if they're either here this morning or not, but Gabe and Janelle are neighbors back behind the ditch, well, where I live over in Eastbrook, and got to know them past four or five years, along with their three wonderful sons, and they decided to start coming to this church maybe three or four years ago just to give it a try. And they had a little bit of church background, but not a lot of church background. And they admitted to me later, you know, until we got to Carnegie Free, really didn't know what the gospel message was. And we came to Carnegie Free and we embraced the gospel message. God's good news for us. And they've been growing in that gospel message together as they come here each and every week and grow in the truth of the scriptures and, and seeking the truth and embracing the gospel and seeking to live that out. And after a little bit of coming to church, they said, we need to find a community of other people that are doing the same. And so they entered into a life group community with a wonderful life group where they can talk about their questions and grow together as new believers with adult kids. And then after that, they said, we need to figure out the place that we would join the mission and I was talking to Gabe about a year ago, and he decided to step out and serve to become a mentor with our Kids Hope program over at Emerson Elementary School. Here's a picture of Gabe over at Emerson serving there this past year. He's a local police officer, a sergeant in our police force, and he wrote this report of his first year serving at Emerson. He said, my time as a mentor with Kids Hope USA at Emerson Elementary School has been a very positive and rewarding experience both for myself and my mentee. I had been questioning for a while what would be the best ministry I could serve in, and when I heard of the opportunity to become a mentor at Emerson Elementary School, I felt that this would be a good fit. I knew that Emerson has a need for this service. And I also knew that the staff of the school would work well as a team with Kids Hope USA to ensure that this program would succeed. It also went hand in hand with my duties as a police officer, which is to build positive relationships with the youth in this community. We meet every week for one hour, and I talk about him, his life, what he did that week, what he has planned for the upcoming week, what goals he has. And after this, he picks out books that he wants to read, and we read them together. We'll play games and just enjoy our time together. We play Uno and Tic-Tac-Toe, memory, matching games, puzzles, whatever else sounds good that day. He told me that he had no idea that cops were so good at Tic-Tac-Toe. <laughs> and that he looks forward to our visits he has a teacher who has confirmed this to me many times. 
I would strongly encourage others to join Kids Hope USA through Carnegie Free if they can find just one hour a week during the school year in their schedule and will make an opportunity to make a positive impact on the youth of this community. Mm. Like it, this is what we find when we step out in mission. We're blessed far more than we bless others. Like anyone who consistently serves for the glory of God, who finds their area of mission, knows that they are changed as they serve within it, and they get more blessing than they give themselves. And so it could be a ministry today that you choose to commit to this year like men in action, in which you serve a, a widow or a widower or a single parent in our church, along with three or four other guys who likewise are serving in our church. And you help that widow or widower with her home, her car, her computer, and you develop friendships in the process. It could be greeting or ushering for 30 minutes a week in which you use your smile, you use your hospitality gifts to create an atmosphere where every person matters and every person is welcome here. It could be that you like working behind the scenes and you like technology, and so you choose, well, one of the areas, areas with our tech ministry is a gra graphics operator or a video uh, technician so that people can hear more clearly the truth of the gospel on Sunday mornings. Our pastors have developed this 12-month goal starting in May of 2022 and going through May of 2023 that we would onboard 175 more Carney E. Free attendees, moving them from attendance to engagement as they join the mission such that all of our ministries here would not just survive, but they would thrive. We have that one-year goal going right now. And the Ministry Expo outside these doors is a big piece of that. And last week alone, 40 of you said yes to that. 40 people last week alone. Over the past several weeks, we've had over 100 people say, I'm looking for some way to get involved. And friends, as you do that, we don't want to just get busy. We don't want to get busy. But we do understand that the use of our hands, the use of the gifts and the personality that God has given us, it's a big piece of how God leads us towards spiritual transformation in the likeness of Christ. All right, if you pick up your outline once more, there's one more circle that's not definitively part of our discipleship pathway, but, but it really is and it needs to be, and it, it goes like this. The fourth circle that really surrounds the other circles is pray expectantly. In the coming year, we're gonna commit ourselves to prayer here at this church in a way that perhaps we have not, at least in the seven years that I've been here. And in the month to come, we're gonna launch a season of prayer that's gonna last us 100 days through the remainder of 2022 in which we explore a little bit more what it means to listen to God in prayer and how to develop intimacy with God and how to make prayer more of our daily routine and how to deal with some of the frustrations that we have in prayer as well, because I do too. We all have frustrations with prayer, and we'll talk about those also. And it's not going to be a sermon series on prayer, per se. What it's going to be instead is a different sermon series in the fall, but prayer will be kind of like the lifeblood. 
that goes throughout all of the sermon series and through our various ministries that take us through the fall. Last week I said this, the power of the church is not in the golden tongue of the preacher, it's not in the organizational skill of the leaders, it's in the humility of the prayer warriors. And I really believe that. It's the humility of the prayer warriors who recognize I am fully dependent on God, that the church is able to grow into what God wants it to be, that it would not be dependent on people, but actually be dependent on God. And some of us, perhaps many of us in this room, have either forgotten or have never learned the glory of relating to God as our loving Father. Some of us have never learned the joy of relating to Jesus as our friend. Perhaps we've never learned what it is to know the Holy Spirit as our counselor who would guide us each day. And friends, prayer should be like the glue. We want in this room, we want in this church that prayer would be the glue for everything else that we do. My, my, my guess is you've, you've been part of a life group or a fellowship group of some kind that just kind of devolved into chit-chat. That's what happens outside of prayer. Maybe you've been part of a service, a mission of some kind that just kind of devolved into a do-gooder mentality, a legalistic mentality of checking the box. That's what happens outside of prayer. Even seeking truth can turn into a prideful expedition without the humility of prayer. And so we want to fall upon our knees more and more and ask for what God alone can do in our lives and throughout this church through the instrument of prayer. President Abraham Lincoln once said, I've been so overwhelmed that I've found nothing else could help besides absolutely falling upon my knees in prayer. And I've thought about that quote many times over this past year. 2020 wasn't the hardest for me. There are certain elements of my personality that like the strategy of 2020. <laughs> I know that's very weird. <laughs> 2021 was not the worst for me. But the end of 2021 and the first six, seven months of 2022 were hard for me. And I went through a very dark season for about nine months where I experienced a level of joylessness that is very rare for me. I've been fortunate. God has given me a lot of passion, and I've generally been joyful in the Lord. But in the last nine months, a lot of that has been interrupted for me. And there's been significant challenges at home and significant challenges with extended family and some significant challenges at church as well. And I've thought of that quote from Abraham Lincoln so many times. I have no other place to go but falling upon my knees in prayer. And friends, coming out the backside of that, and I am coming out the backside of that, Thank you, Jesus. I don't regret any of it. I don't regret any of it. 
because God has met me there. He met me in the pain of these past nine months. And he's lifted my soul again, and I've experienced intimacy with God in these very painful times. And I've experienced some very specific answers to specific prayers where I really needed God to come through, and it's bolstered my faith once again. And this is the result, the joyous result of learning in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand, eternal pleasures forevermore. Okay? The presence of God is the most transformative thing in the world. And so what we want to do over this next several months is launch 100 days of prayer, which we'll launch officially here in about a month. And over the remainder of this year, we are going to fall to our knees. And we're going to ask God for what he alone can do in our lives and in our church And we're going to grow together in intimacy with God. Okay, there's not a specific initiative other than learning to pray more fully and encounter God, the one who transforms us more comprehensively. I hope you're in this with me. I'm excited for it myself. I think it's going to be a great fall. Here's a word that I'm praying for you out of Ephesians chapter 3. Perhaps you would uh, even... Uh, pray this for our church as a whole. Pray this for folks in your life group over these uh, coming months. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 says this. And I'm just going to read this and I'm going to pray this for our church and then we'll go to a time of worship. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of the knowledge of God. Oh, Father, I pray that for our church, that we would be overwhelmed a bit more with your presence, that we experience in our inner being newfound power and newfound strength through the reality that the Holy Spirit actually does reside in these bodies. And that we'd be strengthened by the reality that we have a witness who is with us, who would guide us through the challenges that we face. I pray that for all my friends in this room who have bowed their knees to Christ, that they would realize they can call on the great counselor, the Holy Spirit, at any moment. And I pray for my friends who are experiencing seasons of great pain, much like I've been through, that you would fill them with a measure of the fullness of God, that they would know a little bit more the height and the depth and the width and the length of the love of God for them. Oh, how great is your love, Lord Jesus. How great is your love, not just for seven billion people in this world, but for each of us in this room. Father, we receive that now. We tell you today, the beginning of this time of prayer, 
this season devoted to prayer, God, would you humble us and would you meet us where we are? Would you show us more of your love? May we experience, please, Lord God, more of your presence that would transform us a little bit more this year into the likeness of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose wonderful name we pray. Amen.